Our Heavenly Father, we bow here in your presence. We thank you, Father, for another day. Another day we can come together as your church. We can worship. We can praise you. We can learn about you. And we can fellowship together. Lord, we are grateful for this. We pray now that as we go through this point in our service where we study your word, that you would open it up to us and open our hearts up to receive it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? It's good to see you all <clears throat> See you all here this morning. I'm glad to have you with us. If you're visiting, you're welcome here. I just want to thank you for coming. Let me ask you this question as I begin. How many of you think that you're very good at keeping a secret? You think you're very good? All right. I can remember when I was, well, when my, my two daughters were young, they were just little, and they could not keep a secret to save their lives. Deborah would take them shopping Christmas time to get me a present, and they'd come back home and announce that, Daddy, we got you a present for Christmas. I'd say, well, great. What did you get me? When they'd laugh, they'd say, we can't tell you it's a secret, but you can guess. I said, okay, I'll guess. I said, did you get me a car? Uh, no, we didn't get a car. We don't have any money. And one of them would pipe up and say, well, it's not closed. I'd say, well, okay, I'm glad it's not closed. Uh, I said, well, I have fun with it. And one of them would say, yeah, especially when you go fishing, you'll like it. <laughs> And they'd be just all grins, and I say, "I bet it's a rod and reel." And they go, <laughs> "He got it. No, that's not it. That's not it." And I and they say, uh, "Mama, we didn't tell him. He just guessed it. He just guessed it." I say, "Sure, but little kids can't keep a secret. But you know what? Most people aren't very good at keeping secrets. Everybody has a good friend that they just have to tell, <clears throat> and they trust that friend not to tell anybody else. How many times have you told somebody a secret?" And please promise me you won't tell a soul. I'm only telling you. But what you forget is this, that that person has another friend, you see. And they'll do the same thing. You've got to promise now that you won't tell anybody. But sure enough, they do. And secrets are hard to keep. Now, God has a secret, or he used to. He's already told it to us now. But it's referred to in the Bible as a mystery. And that secret was basically kept for about 2,000 years. It was a secret from the time of Abraham to the time of Jesus, that God kept a secret. And in, in, in the apostles in the New Testament, and especially the Apostle Paul, are the ones that reveal the secret as God revealed it to them. Now, basically, the mystery, the secret that they're revealing is what we would know or call the gospel. But there's a certain part of the gospel that they're referring to as being the mystery or the secret. And that is this that God accepts anybody and everybody who believes in Jesus Christ, regardless of who you are. Now you think to yourself, well, big whoop, you know, well, I, I know that. I mean, I've heard that so many times ever since I was a child, I know that. But you've got to understand that during that period in history, they didn't. Because you see, what had happened over the centuries is that when God called Abraham out and said, I'm going to make a great nation of you and a great people, and uh, the part I think that Abraham didn't catch was when God said, I'm going to, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. He, didn't miss, he missed that part. Because what happened over time is the nation of Israel began to become so inclusive, I mean exclusive, they just uh, centered around themselves, that nobody else could get in. And nobody else was welcome. And part of it because God told them, I don't want you intermingling with the Gentiles. I'm going to make you into something that I'm going to use for, your, for special purposes. So over the years... What developed was this attitude on the part of Israel that was very exclusive. 
and they did not want Gentiles. Now, Gentiles are everybody else. Jews and Gentiles was how the world was divided according to the Bible. And they did not want anybody else in their clique or their group or being a part of their association because to them, they were God's chosen people and nobody else could be in. And now we know that wasn't what God intended because God brought Gentiles in throughout the Old Testament. You find Gentiles coming into the the family of God in Israel, so to speak. But what was what was the mystery was this, that there was going to come a time when God would purposely, and it was planned this way from the beginning, would open it up to where anybody, regardless of your race, your color, your creed, your religion, your ethnic background, your, your socioeconomic background, your money, your status in life, you could be a pagan, you could be a drunkard, you could be a drug addict, whomever, if you would put your faith in Jesus Christ, you could come into the family. And that's the message of the church. Now, what, is, what we don't understand, because, see, we didn't live in that period of time, is that this was news to them. This was something that was brand new to them. And even today, now let me just say this, okay? Even today, we in the church, and not just this one, but other churches, and probably less likely in this church because of our attitude and things that we know to be true. But churches can be very exclusive. Churches can exclude people who don't measure up. Churches can exclude people that they don't deem worthy. And they can exclude people that don't measure up to their moral standard or whatever. And so both by the way they talk to people and deal with people and also the way they treat people just in their attitudes. Churches can become very exclusive. And we can become, for the most part, a lot like the Jews in the Old Testament. And we can look down on people and think that they're not worthy and that God doesn't want to have anything to do with them. And that attitude of excluding certain people prevails today whether we are willing to admit it and to recognize it or not. But what I want to do today is this. I want to see this mystery as Paul explains it. And again, it's no big revelation to us. But what I want to do is to make an application to your life and mine in a number of ways. I want to first of all help you to understand that God does accept everybody, okay, everybody. And you may be religious, you may be proud and arrogant, you may be self-righteous, I don't know. But you need to get over it, and you need to accept the fact that God accepts everybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. There are no exclusions. The hardest thing for us as a Christian to understand is the depth of God's grace. We just can't grasp it. We just do not want to admit it. That God accepts people that we don't like. We don't want to be around sometimes. But that's how God is because God is the God of grace. And God opens the doors nice and wide for all the world to come in. And we are all together part of the church. We are the church. This is not this building. It's just where we gather. We're the church because the Spirit of God indwells every believer. Every person that puts their faith in Jesus Christ is indwelt by the Spirit of God. And together we make up what the Bible refers to as the church. From all walks of life, all different, but all have one thing in common. And that is our common faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that molds us together as one. And so that's what the church is. And Paul is trying to convince, the, now he's writing to the Ephesians we're going to be looking today. And these are Gentiles. And he's trying to help them to understand that, yeah, you've been on the outside looking in all these centuries, 
because you always see God working with the Jews, but you never see Him working with the Gentiles. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed and the mystery that God has held and kept for all these centuries, God is now saying, this was my plan all along. And so I'm unfolding it and revealing it today. And Paul is explaining it to the Ephesians. Now, there's a lot in here for us to learn. But especially when I move to the other application that we're going to be making at the end of this in regards to you and me as believers today. We'll get to that in a moment. Let me begin by jumping into this text. We're in Ephesians chapter 3. We're studying the book of Ephesians. We've gone through and talked about a lot of different things. We're getting ready to move from the theological part of Ephesians into the practical part. Because when you get into 4, 5, and 6, you're looking at, okay, this is who you are in Christ, but now here's how you live as the person in Christ that you are. So that's in chapters 4, 5, and 6. But like I told you at the beginning, we need to move through this theological part. There's a lot of doctrinal thought, uh, truth that we need to grasp and understand. Let's begin by looking in chapter 3. We're going to be looking, first of all, at the first three verses. Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then it's like he stops in mid-sentence because it's like God says, No, wait a minute. Take them back and explain to them just who you are and what you're doing because this is important. So he he stops and he says in verse 2, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. Now, let's look at a couple of things in here. First of all, Paul says, I'm the prisoner of Christ. Now, at that time, he was in prison. He was under house arrest in Rome, prisoner of Nero, but he doesn't claim that. He says, no, the Lord put me here. The Lord has a reason. I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner of the Lord, and I'm writing to you now as I have this time to do this. And I want you to understand this, that God has given to me an administration of His grace. In other words, a special calling. God has given me this special job to do. That I have been given this for you, the Ephesians, the Gentiles. Now folks, listen to me, okay? Ministry is always about people. Always. It is always about people, regardless of what you do in the church or outside of the church in regards to ministry. It is always about people. You bring them to Christ and you help them grow in their faith. You help them to overcome bad habits. You help them to grow in all these things. This is what ministry is. And Paul says, I have been given this task. And here's the ironic part about it, okay? Paul says, I'm a Jew of all Jews. I was the leader in Israel. I was a member of the Sanhedrin. I'm the one that was there when um, Stephen was, was martyred. I held the coats for the guys that killed him. I have been there every time there has been a martyr or a, a cruci- or not a crucifixion, but a, a um, beating or a dragging Christians out of their homes and putting them under arrest. I was the man that did it. And here's the ironic part, that God gave me the job of telling you Gentiles then now you can come into this family of God that up to this point you have always thought was exclusively Jewish. But now you can come in. How did you get this knowledge? He's answering this question. He said, I, it was made known to me by revelation. 
Now, if you look sometimes in the book of Galatians, what you're going to find is this, that Paul explains that after he became a believer on the road to Damascus, that there was a period of time when God led him into the wilderness and that Jesus Christ personally taught him. Now, this is told to us, but it is also kind of alluded to in a couple of different places in Scripture. For example, Paul in the book of Corinthians is talking about the Lord's Supper. And he says to them, he says, I'm going to convey to you what, what the Lord told me about what happened that night in the upper room, how that he broke bread and took it and so forth. Now, you hear what he's saying? He says, Jesus himself told me what took place. Well, this is what he's talking about here. I learned what I'm telling you by revelation. God revealed it to me there in that desert experience that I was in for some period of time. Now he goes on, and I'm going to have to pick it up and move a little faster, okay? But in Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 6, he says this, In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now being revealed, by the Spirit of God's holy apostles, by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is this, and here he's telling you, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And notice what he's saying here, because he's talking about, I'm telling you how this is, guys, and you'll understand why I know this, because God told me. This has been kept from the world throughout all the generations. God just didn't reveal it, because God was building Israel to take it to the world, and they blew it. But I'm telling it to you now. And notice in this passage in verse 6, he says that through the gospel, the Gentiles are first of all heirs, together with Israel. All of the blessings of God, all of the future promises that God has made, that God is saying, you Gentiles are heirs along with Israel. You also are members together of one body. Now he's talking about people who put their faith in Christ. Jews and Gentiles come together as one body. And sharers together of the promise in Jesus Christ. All of us were heirs together. Now, again, You've, you've got to understand what a revelation this was to these people in Ephesus. We've never heard anything like this. This is totally different. Something brand new because God is revealing it to them. In verse 7, he goes on to say, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. In other words, God saved me and then God gave me this job to take it and proclaim it to the world. That through His power working in me, I became the servant. Now notice that, the servant of the gospel. He said, I have one goal in life. I'm here to serve the Lord through sharing this message. And it is through the working of the power of God. Every time you and I share the gospel or somebody asks us about our faith and we share it with them and God begins to work on them. I've told you this, we looked at this a few weeks ago, that it is God that makes people alive and he makes people come to life while they're still lost according to what we just read earlier in chapter 1 or 2, I believe. And the faith 
all of this happens at one time, displays itself, and the Bible says that you're saved. And that is what takes place at the point of, of a person being saved, but it is the power of the Spirit that does it. Why is it that Paul or you or me or anybody else can share the gospel and people come to Christ? How is that possible? Only because the Spirit of God is working in the person to bring them to life. Without the Spirit of God bringing them to life, you and I have no power to do that. We cannot debate them into, the, into heaven. We cannot uh, coax them into heaven. We cannot argue them into heaven. Only God can do it. And you and I, along with what Paul is saying here, are the servants. We just answer the call and God does the work. The power of God. Now watch this. Verses 8 through 9. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles, now watch, the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now watch. God gave me this job of preaching to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Guys, don't read over something like that, okay? Because what Paul's trying to get you to understand is that this, the riches that are yours in Christ Jesus, when you come to Christ, are boundless. Now, what does that mean, boundless? They're without limitations. There are no limitations on the boundless riches of Christ. They're there. They're yours. Okay, now think about this. How many times, either directly because you've heard it spoken or it's been implied in a church service or by some other Christian or by some other pastor, that, yeah, you're saved by grace through faith, but... And then the but, you know... But you've got to promise to do this, you can't do that, and then you've got to do that. And then, if you're worthy enough, God will save you. How many times have you ever heard that? And maybe it's not spoken or said so bluntly, but it's implied. Guy says, look, when Paul said this, he said, The grace of God, the riches of Christ are boundless, there are no limitations. For you and me to imply or state that there's somehow a limit on the grace of God is a sin. Because the Bible says that the grace of God is boundless and limitless. However you think the grace of God applies to your life, and whatever you think that God has given to you because you're a Christian, you aren't even scratching the surface. It's boundless. There are no boundaries on it. It is beyond belief. But notice this. He also says, it is, I am preaching the, the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. To make it plain. My job is here is to teach it and to make it plain. Oh, man. How many times have we as pastors stood in the pulpit and just screwed it up? How many times have we stood in the pulpit and muddied it up so bad? Because we've convinced people that, yeah, you might get to heaven. There's a, a pathway for you. But it's not complete. It's not free. You go, you can't say anything about it being free. Well, people will just do what they want. 
And what we fail to understand is this whole idea of boundless grace says to you and me, to every one of us that are unbelievers, and at some point we all were, you come to me just as you are. You come to me just as you are. A pagan, immoral, a drug addict, an alcoholic, you come to me because there's no limitations here. You come to me and I'll save your soul by my power, he says. And then we'll change you. We preach it just the opposite. You better straighten up your act, and we use this biblical term of repentance, and we do it all wrong because we tell people that repentance means you straighten up your act. And then God will save you. How are you going to make an unbeliever straighten up his act? How are you going to make somebody that has no power straighten up his act? You know, I've told you before I had plans and I'm in the process of writing a book. I've been doing this and talking about it for years. It's one of those things you always have on the back shelf. I've got it outlined and outlined in uh, chapter headings. The title of the book is Fighting the Pharisees. One of my chapter titles is You Can't Make a Dead Man Dance. And this is what it's talking about. Because we try to make dead people dance before we let them into the kingdom, and we can't do that. So making it plain, yeah, that's important. You and I have to make it plain, and that is so vitally important. Let me finish now the last few verses. In verses 10 through 11, it says this. His intent, talking about God, his intent was that now through the church, that's us, not the building, okay? It's not about coming to the church. It's about through us in this relationship that we have. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, here's some questions you've got to be asking. What in the world is it talking about when it says that it's been made known to the authorities in, in the heavenly realms? Well, I've told you before, this term heavenly realms is not talking about heaven. It's talking more about the spirit world the space that we don't understand, not the physical earth, but the heavenly realms, the spirit world. Now think of it in in this way. Paul is saying this, that God had a plan that he didn't tell anybody, a plan to reconcile the entire world to himself no matter who you are, and that he would send his son and make the payment, and all you do is put your faith and you're saved. The gift of God, the Bible says. Not even the angels in heaven, the heavenly realms, or the demons in hell, the heavenly realms, not any of the rulers, satanic forces in the world understood it. But yet it says here that through us in this relationship that we have together, we are people of all different walks of life, people of all different nationalities, of all races, of all backgrounds, where former prostitutes and drug addicts and alcoholics and good, moral, upstanding church people. And all of us, we come together and put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we are one. And all of the spirit world scratches their head and says, what did he do? That's the church. And through the manifold wisdom of uh, the church, we have, we have exhibited the wisdom of God through that. This is what he's saying. You represent the wisdom of God. You represent the grace of God. You are an object lesson to all of creation. What grace is. Because you see, everybody else, and let me just say, Satan, let's use this, Satan thought all through history, now I've got him. 
Now I've got him. Now I have ruined his plan. He sought it in the Garden of Eden. He sought it at the cross. I've finished him. It's over. Then the resurrection blew that theory out of the water. And then all of a sudden, he went even further. He said, I'll cause division and strife among his people. And then what did God do? He brought us all together under an umbrella called the church and filled our hearts with love. The manifold wisdom of God through the church. He has shown all of creation what his plan was. Now look at verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Oh, now don't miss this, okay? Through him, talking about Jesus, and through faith in him, we approach God the Father with freedom and confidence. This whole idea of the freedom now, this is what, this is what Pharisees don't like to hear, okay? They don't want to hear about freedom in Christ because people might live differently than they think they should. So they try to put constraints on it. God says, no, no. We approach God now with freedom. There are no strings. There are no demands. There just come to me, whosoever will. Put your faith in me and come. And we come to him with confidence. What does that mean? It means that we will never, ever be rejected. I don't know what your background is. I don't know your lifestyle. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you think of yourself or what you think of God or what you think about whether God would love you and accept you, but I'm here to tell you based on the authority of God's Word that by faith you approach God with freedom and confidence that God will take you no matter who you are. You see, God doesn't say change and I love you. God says I'll love you and I'll come here and I'll change you. And that's the the difference. That's the difference in Christianity, in religion. Because religion will always try to make you change to deserve God's love. Christianity says, no, I will love you. Now come here, let me save you, and then I'll change you. And the changing is a lifelong process of ups and downs, and we'll go through that another time. But folks, don't muddy up the waters with this message of what the gospel really is. And lastly, verse 13, he says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which is your glory, or sufferings which are your glory. Paul says, this is for you. You Ephesians, you Galatians, you Corinthians, all you Gentiles out there. He said, I suffer all the things that I suffer only for you because I'm trying to share with you the truth of how God loves you and how much he cares for you. All right, so what's the point that I want to make here? Okay, here's where I'm going with this. And just let me change gears a moment. The point is this. I'll read along with me up there. It's going to appear on the screen. That you and I should proclaim the gospel in both word and deed to people of all walks of life. Proclaim it in both word and deed. Now, you need to understand this, that as a believer, you and I proclaim the gospel by the way we treat people, first of all. If I'm judgmental, if I'm self-righteous, then that's not attractive to an unbeliever. Why would they come? Why would they want that? But when I extend grace, because God extended it to me, when I extend love, when I accept 
with no strings attached. I love you and accept you and I will bring you and help you come to Christ and understand the gospel and this mystery. When I do that, that's attractive to somebody who has always been told all of their lives, you don't measure up. Guys, you'd be amazed at the number of people I've talked to over the years who don't darken the doors of a church because somewhere back in the past they've been made to believe that they're not worthy. You may be sitting here today and you may be thinking to yourself, that's how I was raised. That's what I went through. In high school I was this kind of kid and they wouldn't accept me and they rejected me. And I understand that. But you need to understand what Paul is saying here. And that we as believers have the responsibility to proclaim the gospel by the way we treat people and also by the things that we say. That at some point in time in our lives, we've got to be able to share the mystery. To verbally tell somebody what grace is all about. And here's where a lot of people falter because they think to themselves, wait a minute, I thought God called Paul to do that. See, I thought God called Peter and James and the rest of them. Those guys do that, and and the preachers, but God never called me to say anything. Yeah, He did. He did. Why should we, as believers today, feel that we have a responsibility to share the mystery of the gospel with anybody? Why should we take that burden on and feel that? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, because we're told to. You see, it didn't end with Paul. It wasn't Paul's responsibility alone. It wasn't the preacher's responsibility alone. It's all of our responsibility. Let me show you a couple of verses. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, look at what Paul says to Timothy. Now, he's writing to this young man, Timothy, and here's what he says to him. He's a pastor. He says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now watch what he's saying, okay? He's saying, now, Timothy, I taught this to you. Now you in turn teach it to somebody else who then in turn will be able to teach it to somebody else. He goes through four generations, we'll call it, of passing it down. And the implication is it goes on. So here we are in 2019, here we sit in this church, and where do you get the idea that we're not responsible for this? It's not from the Bible. I know sometimes it can be a frightening thing to share your faith, it's, but remember, it's, it's not about you, it's not about what you know or don't know, it's about you being available to say to somebody, do you know what, God will love you no matter who you are. God accepts you no matter who you are. The only, the only contingent is this, Faith in Jesus Christ. That without that you cannot come. But if you'll put your faith in Christ, God will love you. God will accept you. God will forgive you. And you will become God's child. Anybody can say that. You and I have got to remember what we've been talking about the past few weeks. All of this hinges on the Spirit of God doing His work. And if He doesn't do His work, then that's okay. You go to somebody else. But there will come a time when you are face-to-face with this opportunity. Listen to this verse. In First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, here's what Peter said. He said, But in your hearts, 
revere Christ as Lord. In other words, lift him up. Admit, he's Lord, he's Master, I'm his servant. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with the gentleness and respect. That I'm supposed to be ready to give an answer. If you are living right, somebody's going to be drawn to it. And somebody's going to ask you. I'm not talking about you going out and knocking on doors. I'm talking about you just being available and sensitive to the Spirit of God when He taps your shoulder and says, Hey, that guy over there where you work with, that student that you go to school with, that person in your neighborhood, they don't know. And they feel like they're unworthy and that nobody would accept them, least of all God. Why don't you go tell them how much I love them? You can do that. You can do it. We're told to do it. But here's the second, the final reason why you and I ought to be doing this, and that is simply this. Because your life needs to count for something eternal. You need to, your life needs to count for something of eternal value. It has no bearing on what kind of a dad you are, or what kind of a husband you are, or what kind of a mother or wife, whatever. You know, your life counts in various ways here in this world. It's important. I understand that. And I'm not implying that your life doesn't count. But what about eternity? Because when we get into eternity, things begin to change. And the first or last and the last or first and all of that sort of thing. Paul said here in this passage, he said, for example, I'm the prisoner of Christ in verse 1. He said, I'm the servant of this gospel in verse 7. And he tells these Ephesians, he said, I am suffering tribulation for you. You know what he's saying to these people? I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm not holding anything back. Guys, I I really believe with all my heart that God calls his church, those of us that are believers, to be all in. You see, there comes a point in time in our Christian life where we have to decide what are we going to do that's going to count for eternity? Not building a big business in this world, although that's a good thing. But what am I going to do that has eternal value? And God has called and what God desires is that each one of us would be ministers of the mystery. That we would share that gospel, that truth, that secret that seems to elude so many people about the grace of God. That is what I believe the Bible's teaching. And I pray that you will be in prayer concerning how you fit into this. Now, if you're here this morning and you need to understand the gospel, let me read you this one verse and then I'll close. The gospel message is found right here. John chapter 3, verse 36, it says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. It's pretty simple. God sent His Son to die on a cross for you. And all of your sins from birth to death were laid upon the cross. And He says to you, will you believe that? Will you put your faith in me? Will you accept me as your Savior, your Redeemer? 
And at some point in life, we come to that decision and we make that choice and we say, yes, Lord, I believe. And God says, you're mine. And in that moment, we pass from death to life. If we do not, then the wrath of God remains on us. You see, being lost isn't something you do. It's just who you are. You're born into this world and the wrath of God is upon you whether you like it or not. All you have to do to be lost is to do nothing. You come to Christ by faith in the boundless riches of God He pours out on you. Why don't you do that? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, man, I like what I hear. I like what I see in the Scripture. I this." This appeals to me. And I'm one of those people that have always thought that they're unworthy or I didn't need it. or I, And I want this. I want it. Then right there where you sit, you turn to God in faith and you say, Lord, I believe this. I believe that Jesus died for me. And on the authority of God's Word, you are His child. That is what the Bible teaches. Now, I'm not going to have you to come forward. I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to know if you're trusting Christ and if you maybe have any questions. So I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up and put it back down and say, Pastor, you can pray for me because right now I'm believing. Right now I come to Him. Right now I trust Him. Anybody else? Anyone at all? Just put your hand up and put it back down. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for the truth of what is is in this book. Father, this mystery that for generations nobody understood, you have revealed to us. And we live in a very privileged and special place in history. Father, may we see the responsibility, just like Paul, that this job, this responsibility of being a minister of this message has been passed down to all of us. Father, may we be faithful. Help us, Lord, at this church especially, to be faithful to take the grace of God to people that need to know it. And may we never, ever be afraid because you have empowered us to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.